Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're talking about how to leave a legacy, how to go on to the next generation. Because here's the deal. When I was a kid, adults used to talk to me about how hard their life was. This ever happened to you? You know, the whole, oh, I walked 25 miles to school through the snow, barefoot, with my younger siblings on my back. And when I came home, you know, I had a full-time job and I, you know, worked in the steel mill for five cents an hour, you know, so, so I could make ends meet and my family, you know, wouldn't starve to death. And I really didn't care when they said that, right? You don't care because you're a kid and you're like, whatever, you know, you don't have any idea where I live. But now that I'm the old guy, I'm, I'm kind of starting to see their point. Because think about it, if you're an old guy like me, think about how easy kids have it today, okay? If I had to look something up when I was a kid, I had to go to the library and really look it up. There was no internet. I don't know if you understand this, youngins. See, we had to actually look it up. And if I wanted to send a letter to somebody, I had to actually write it with a pen, and if I messed up, I'd put white paint on the paper and start writing again. And then I had to go put it in a mailbox and send it away. And it would take like a week before those people ever knew what I had to say. There was no email or Facebook or any of that kind of stuff. And there were no iPods. If you wanted to have music, you had to take a microphone and set it in front of the radio and wait all day until the DJ decided to play your song. And then inevitably, he would always talk over the beginning of your song. Am I right? We didn't have Xbox or PlayStation. We had Pong. There were, you, you remember, there's a dial over here and a dial over here, and one line went up and down, and one line went, and you, it was ridiculous. And, and there was no guide on your television to tell you what, there were only three channels. It didn't matter anyway. You had to get a TV guide in the mail so you knew what was on television, and that was important because we had no way to record it. If you wanted to watch cartoons, you could only check this children one time of the whole week. You could watch cartoons, and that was Saturday morning. And if you didn't, you know, if you had a baseball game or something going on on Saturday morning, you had to wait a whole nother week before you could watch cartoons. That's how hard I had it. Forget about the snow and all that stuff. This is what I'm talking about. We didn't have call waiting. If somebody called and you were on the phone, they got a busy signal. And if somebody called and you didn't, you didn't know who it was because there was no call waiting. So you had to gamble on whether it was your girlfriend or the teacher calling to rat you out, or your mumbling Aunt Bertha that talks too much. You had no way to know any of those things. That's what it's like. Today, we have all of these amazing things, and yet it still seems like it's not easy to be a kid in today's world. It's odd how God made the animal kingdom, because the truth of the matter is a lot, most baby animals are able to survive out there in the world today um, much faster than a human being baby ever would. I mean, a baby, for example, a human a baby antelope, one hour after a baby antelope is born, it is able to run away from almost all of its predators. And within that first hour, it has camouflage fur and almost no odor, so it's hardly going to be able to be found anyway. And yet Homo sapiens is really the opposite of what I said at the beginning. It's a, it's a more convenient world out there today, but it's a crazier world because we don't have camouflage. We, have to, we, don't have a, you know, we don't have all these ways to run away from our predators, and it seems like there's just more and more predators. And, and, and children of the world today, they have to grow up in a crazy new world, and they have to grow up under our care. Baby Homo sapiens is very, very different than baby animals. It takes years for them to develop. 
And God has placed those kids in our society in such a way as to force children into the care and the nurture of society. And it's our job to take care of them. And we know that Jesus loves children, right? You came to church, so you know that Jesus loves children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. Is that song politically incorrect now, my friends? How about Native American, Asian, African, Caucasian? They are precious in his whatever rhymes with Shen. This this doesn't work anymore, does it? But Jesus welcomed all the little children of the world into his arms. We have a beautiful piece of stained glass that we're getting ready to mount out here next to the pictures that we're putting of our sponsored children in the link on the way into the children's area. It's a piece I bought several years ago. We're having it restored and we're going to mount it out there. And it's Jesus blessing the children. And it's my favorite because it's one of my favorite illustrations of Jesus in the first place. Matthew 19 says Jesus had the little children and, and they were around and they were being they were being taken away from him and they were being shunned from him and Jesus said let the children come to me and do not hinder them. If you've heard me talk about this before it's it's just a, an ironic passage of scripture to me. Because whenever I'd heard this in a sermon or I'd ever read this before, I'd I'd always picture Jesus just, you know, oh, let the children come to me. They're so cute. Bring them over here. But that's not the context of this passage at all. In Mark 10, it says that Jesus was indignant, that Jesus was ticked off because the disciples had been trying to keep the kids away from Jesus. They were having big people talk and they didn't need the little kids around. And Jesus was mad. He was indignant. And remember that Jesus was a carpenter, which meant he was also a lumberjack. Okay? And he's okay. He was a a strong... I believe that Jesus was a strong, uh, a, a very powerful human being. And Jesus got indignant when they blocked the children from coming to him. And he said, step away from the children. Let the children come to me and don't you dare hinder them because my kingdom belongs to them. Don't you wonder what Jesus' mad face looked like? That's what he had on when he was saying this. And evidently, for some reason, even though our kids live in a crazy world that is a lot easier to deal with a lot of other things, they're still going to take at least 18 years, if not more, in our household before they're going to be really ready to go out on their own. And as a society, as, as human beings, as Christians, God has charged us with taking care of all the children of the world. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in His sight. Listen to Psalm chapter 7. The psalmist said, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children and they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. God commanded us as people to leave a legacy of faith to the next generation. And all throughout the Bible, we're told to train up the children in the way they should go, that they should be a generation that comes up to know about God. And you're like, well, yeah, but they don't want to know about God anymore. Recent poll from George Barna, the pollster, said that four out of five children that he surveyed said they did want to know about God. Four out of five. So things really probably haven't changed because I would guess in my day it would have been 80%. Things haven't changed because kids know that there's something out there and they are hungry for the things of God. 
So I want to talk to you about leaving a legacy. And if we could use the Olympic illustration, it's pretty simple for us today. What's going to happen is there are, in the Olympics in London, in just a few weeks, there are going to be several track relay races. And one of the key things, if you've ever run track, one of the key things in the relay race is the baton pass. Okay, if you're going to go, if you're going to go from one runner to the next, they have to pass the baton because to drop the baton is to lose the race. So right now, wherever they're practicing, all the Olympic teams, they're running, they're lifting weights, they're eating right. But I guarantee you they're spending a lot of time just practicing the baton pass. Somebody's practicing this and somebody's practicing this. And what I want to talk about today is how important it is for us as a society to make sure that we pass the baton to the next generation. So while this has very obvious implications for you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, it should also have broader implications on all of us as human beings who need to pass on this legacy of faith to the next generation. So let me just give you a couple of ideas. The first one is this. The way we pass on the legacy of faith, especially if you're a parent, is we demonstrate the priority of Jesus and his church. Let me say this right up front. When, you, when, when the baton is dropped, and it will inevitably happen during the Olympic Games, when somebody drops the baton, it might be the fault of the passer, but it might be the fault of the receiver. I want to say this because anytime we start talking about kids or parenting or whatever, there's always, I know there are always people out there who are like, man, I did everything I thought I was supposed to do and my kid dropped the baton. Was it my fault? Maybe, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe your kid just decided to drop the baton. Maybe your kid has free will and things didn't turn out the way you want to. And we pray that your kid will pick up the baton of faith and start over again and head on their way. But here's what I know. Because I've had conversations with a lot of you. Many of you are just now coming back to church. Or, or, or maybe you're coming to a relationship with Jesus for the first time in your life. And the reason you never had it before is because the generation before you didn't pass you the baton. Maybe they went to church, but they felt like they had to. So that's the reason they went to church. And you could see that. And they came late, and they stood in the back. And they left right after communion. Oh, wait, you still do that. And, and, and for them, it was just a duty, okay? It was just a duty. And when you grew up, you were like, I don't need another duty, so I don't need church. I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. I'm going to go on my merry way. And part of that's the fault of the church for being irrelevant. But, but the truth of the matter is, you would have received something if somebody would have passed it to you. And I'm sorry for that. Because... What we need to do now is to change all of that and learn to pass the baton to the next generation. Our young people will sense the obedience that we have to Jesus Christ in our homes and in our church and in the involvement that we have in our church. I grew up, like some of you, in a home that I didn't ask if I was going to church. I asked what time we were leaving, okay? That's what it was. And sometimes it was boring. And here's the beautiful thing. You never have to worry about that at Parkview, do you? As a matter of fact, yeah, I know, right? How many of your kids bring you to church, okay? Right? Because Kids Connection is awesome. As, as a matter of fact, if you have to twist your kid's arm to come to church at Parkview, they probably have the flu, so please stay home, all right? Please don't tell me, well, I don't want to bring my kids to church because I just want to let my kids choose for themselves when they get older. I don't want to force religion on them because I'm afraid it'll turn them off to religion later on in life. Really? 
Don't tell me that. Because I'm going to say, do you force them to take a bath? Are you afraid they're going to be turned off to hygiene later? Right? I mean, do you make them go to school? I mean, be a parent here. Grow up and do your job. Okay? That's all I'm saying. I, I'm not saying that, that by... Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. I, I'm not saying that... That, that by going to church, that there's something spiritual about coming to this building or being involved in this stuff. I'm saying your children will catch the priority of Jesus. Okay? They will catch it. They're not going to be taught it. They're going to catch it. So push them a little bit. Right? Get them to CIY conference. Get them to a mission trip. Get them involved in Kids Connection or VBS or whatever we've got going on. They might not know anybody. They might be afraid a little bit or whatever. But push them a little bit because it's good for them and you want to give them Jesus and you want to pass on the baton of your faith. Okay? Number one, the demonstration of the priority of Jesus in the church. Number two, the demonstration of the priority of Jesus in the home. There's a great book out there by my friend Dave Stone about that. We've got several of them available for you still left out there. If, you want to, if you're interested, we'd love to have you get one. Here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 11. This is what's really, really important to us. Deuteronomy 11, Moses says, as he's telling the people how to live in the promised land, here's what he says. He says, fix these words of mine. This is God speaking, not Moses. Fix these words of mine on your hearts and your minds. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. You see this? I mean, great, get them involved in church and great, get them involved in Kids Connection and all that kind of stuff. But you're going to have them a lot more than we ever will. Talk about it at home when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and gates. You know what's so weird about that? My wife has gotten into this, this new thing where you can buy these things that you put on your wall and they've got like scripture verses that you put on your wall. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, those things drive me nuts. I mean, I don't need stuff written all over my wall, but I'm like, it's right in scripture right here. So you guys should go, go buy Joanne fabrics on your way home and get something and put on your wall. It's right here. Put it on your door frames of your houses and your gates. Why? Listen to this. So that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers. I mean, there's, you see the blessing that's attached to us passing on a spiritual legacy. If you really want to impact the legacy of the next generation, it's got to be in your home. It's ten times more important that you do this in the home than anything that we can do here. And here's what bugs me, okay? You're going you're gonna to misunderstand this. Here's what bugs me. I mean, we got this big Sox Cub thing going on this weekend, and I would just, just stay out of it. I'm stay out of it. Politically correct. I've already done the red, yellow, black, and white thing. I've got to stop there, okay? Here, 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 here's what I want you to know, okay? Your kids, I guarantee you, they know which baseball team you root for. You got, you know, big C somewhere. You got socks, you know, up and down somewhere. You got stuff around your house. And, and I'm not saying that you need like Christian posters on your wall or precious moments junk sitting around, you know. Uh, please, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying turn on Christian television because that could actually do the opposite of what we would hope for them, right? Am I right? I, I'm just saying that, okay? But, but do they know what team you root for spiritually? I mean, do, do, they, do they know where your heart... They know what baseball team your heart is for. The most irrelevant thing in your life, they know that. Do they know where you stand with God? Do they see you reading your Bible? Do you guys pray together? I mean, because it's those little things in the home, on the home, write them on the door frames, talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. That's what Moses said. That's how we pass a legacy of faith. Third, we demonstrate a legacy of faith 
by demonstrating the priority of Jesus in our daily ethic. Okay? This goes without saying, but children are keenly aware of our behavior. Here's your, here's your Twitter moment or your bumper sticker for the day, right? Live in such a way that your children see you someday as an example and not an object lesson. Okay? Live in such a way that your children will grow up and see you as an example in their life and not an object lesson. Adults, you know they're watching you out of the corner of their eye. George Barna says this, It appears that as our society becomes increasingly secular, our children are developing a hypocrisy detector, an internal sensitivity to actions, attitudes, values, and beliefs that are inherently contradictory to the words that have been uttered as instructions. I mean, it seems like their kids are getting smarter and smarter, right? Switchfoot has a song that says, Suspicion is the new religion. They're looking. And when they hear you gossiping about people at work, they're paying attention to that. When they see you utter a racial slur during a basketball game, they're paying attention. When they watch your amount of alcohol intake, they see what it does to you. They're watching what you do to their mother or what you do to their father, how you treat those people. They're on top of those things. They see how you spend your money, Okay. They're going to they're gonna watch you drop five bucks in a plate and go out and spend $100 on dinner. They're going to see that, okay? And, and they're going to know what's going on. And they'll, they'll know if you made sacrifices to Cannonball. If they don't know, you should tell them. They should know what's going on. Here's what we're doing together. And believe me, who you are is making an impact on your kids way more than anything you're ever going to say or if you've got wall art all over your entire house, okay? And it's way more than we can do in an hour or youth group or a kids' connection. So here's, here's what I want you to know, okay? <clears throat> Some of you are going, wow, you're right, and I didn't do a very good job, and I feel bad. That's not my, that's not my goal at all. I wrote a blog this week on looking forward. I, I want you to forget about whatever happened to you in the past. I want to forget about whatever's gone on in your life as a parent or as an adult in somebody else's life in the past. And I want you to think from here forward, how can you leave a legacy? You could change the entire thing right now. Paul Harvey tells a great story about Butch O'Hare. Butch O'Hare is the guy that uh, O'Hare Airport is named after. He's a war hero from World War II. He was a fighter pilot. He went out with his squadron on a mission one day and realized that somebody forgot to fill up his gas tank. So he knew he wasn't going to be able to go do the mission and make it back. So he told his squadron leader, squadron leader said, okay, peel off and go back and, and, you know, we'll catch you on the next one. As he peeled off and went back, he encountered a squadron of Japanese Zeros that were headed in the direction of all the warships, of all the battleships and the carriers and everything that were out there. And he realized that he was the only person that could intercept them. They might not have known the ships were there, but he was the only person that could intercept them. So he took on, by himself, one plane, an entire squadron of Zeros. And he shot at them until his ammunition was gone. And then he took his plane and started diving at them to try to clip their wings off or a tail off. And he was such, he, he was, he was such a pain to them that they peeled off and went a different direction to avoid this one guy. And when he landed, they developed a film on his camera, which they had in World War II, cameras on the planes. They developed the film on his camera and realized that he had single-handedly probably saved this battalion of ships. And he was awarded the nation's highest medal of honor and my least favorite place in the world, O'Hare Airport, is named after him. Okay, but it's not his fault. Okay, um, Prior to this time, in Chicago... There was a man named Easy Eddie. 
Easy Eddie was Al Capone's lawyer. He was so good at being Al Capone's lawyer that he kept Al Capone out of jail all of the time, even though obviously Al Capone was a notorious gangster. Al Capone awarded Easy Eddie for being such a good lawyer by giving him a residence that took up an entire city block in downtown Chicago and paid him very, very well. Easy Eddie had a great life. And then he had a son. And he started trying to figure out how he was going to raise this son and how he was going to leave a legacy for his son. And it started to dawn on him that there was no possible way he could leave his son the most important thing that you could ever leave to your son, which would be a good name, unless he changed his ways right then and right there. And I'm telling you, folks, it's possible for you. I don't care if your kids are grown and gone. It's possible for you to change right now. Easy Eddie knew that the only thing he could do was turn himself in, and he knew when he turned himself in that they'd ask him to testify against Al Capone, and they did that, and he knew that if he testified against Al Capone, he would probably be killed, and that happened as well. Within a year after testifying against Al Capone, he was killed by some lone gunman on a lonely street in Chicago. And, and, and you're, you're like, okay, how, how does this story go together? Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. And now you know the rest of the story. But isn't it a good one? I mean, the truth of the matter is, O'Hare Airport is not named after Butch O'Hare. It's named after Easy Eddie O'Hare. It's named after Al Capone's lawyer who said, I'm going to change things. I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to leave a legacy for my son. And I want to tell you this. You can do this right now. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Yeah, there's probably things that you've done and you've dropped the baton before, but pick it up for crying out loud and pass it on to the next generation and move forward. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So I'm urging you today, make a decision to change your legacy and the next generation will be eternally grateful.
That's what I'm talking about. Change it now and leave a legacy. I got one more thing. You can demonstrate a legacy of faith for the next generation by taking care of Jesus. What do I mean? Well, I take seriously this scripture from the book of Luke right here that says, uh, from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who's been entrusted much, much more will be asked. And the problem in the world is basically summed up by this picture. Okay. This is the United States of America we live in with lots of room and we're the little dog. And that's the rest of the world over there. The big dog in the tiny little basket. Okay. That's my best picture of what's gone on in the world right there. One preacher said, I saw a bumper sticker that said, God bless America. And I thought to myself, he already has. 8% of the world's population lives in the United States of America. And we have 40% of the world's resources. The money we spend on ice cream in the United States of America could wipe out world hunger. There are a billion people in the world who do not have clean drinking water. What can I do? Well, there's one very simple thing you can do. You can leave a legacy. It'll be a double legacy if you're a parent because it'll teach your children and you can provide a legacy for another child. This is a picture of my son. You might not have known I had one. His name is Collins. I married, I, I met him when he was uh, 14, 13 or 14 years old in the slums of Nairobi. He was a very sharp kid. I asked about his background. He, uh, people around me said he was uh, a very sharp kid doing very good in school. His dad was the dad of AIDS. His mom had AIDS and she wasn't doing very well. She's still alive, thankfully, but she's not well. She can't work. He's got four siblings. And I met Collins and I said, well, you know what? He's the same age as my youngest daughter. And this is a problem for me because now I know this kid. And I know that my daughter is going to get to go to Lincoln Way East and go off to college. And I'm going to take care of all of that. But sh- this kid's not going to get to go to high school if somebody doesn't do something about it. And I said, well, what's it going to take for Collins to be able to go to high school? And they said, $80 a month. For $80 a month, I could put Collins through high school. So I did. We went over a few years ago and uh, met him with the whole family. This is a picture of Collins with my girls. He never smiles for a camera. Um, And uh, I now keep up with him on email. And he has graduated from high school and he is now in college. And he's studying to be a teacher so that he can go back and change the world. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. For 80 bucks a month, okay, I'm not saying that's small, but for 80 bucks a month, I, we, our family was able to leave a legacy. I also got some guys together from the church, and we raised enough money to build $10,000 to build a house for his family. So now his family is going to be able to move out away from the slums and be away from all of that stuff, and his siblings will be able to have a decent life as well. And I just got noticed last week from CMF, which is one of the organizations we have out there, that I'm done. That, that he's, I mean, he's in college now and he's graduated and my responsibility is done. And it was really remarkable for me to think about it because it's just been, uh, it's probably been five years since I first started into the program and now he's done and he's on his way. And for that amount of money, whatever I spent over those years, whatever it was that we sacrificed over those years meant the difference in one kid's life between college and a job or slums, and who knows what he's going to do to make a living in one line. And now he can leave a legacy to his family, and he can teach a legacy to the kids that he teaches, and that's the way it's supposed to work. Because James says, pure and lasting religion is this, in the sight of God is this, it's taking care of the orphans. 
And Jesus said it even more poignantly in Matthew chapter 10 when he said, anyone who gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he's my disciple, I'm telling you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Matthew 25, he even says, Whoever, whatever you did for the least of these, you've done it to me. So if you want to leave a legacy to the next generation, even if there aren't any kids in your life whatsoever, you can still do it by sponsoring a child. And if you do have a family and you do still have kids at home, then you can do this and teach and leave a double legacy because you're going to be teaching your kids while you're leaving a legacy in Ecuador or Africa at the same time. Therefore, anyone who becomes humble like a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Okay? And here's the deal, okay? I could go all Sally Struthers on you right now and show you pictures of, you know, bloated children's stomachs and, and, and you make you feel guilty. And I can do that. I am a professional. I could do this. OK. And, and the truth is, it would be true because there are a hundred million children around the world living on the streets. Hundred million. OK, if we start, if I started right now to say the name of every child in the in the world that lived on the streets, it would take me six years around the clock to list their name. It's horrible. They live in a box. They live in a tent. They live, they live on the streets. Nowhere. 21,000 children die every day because of poverty-related issues. Because they have dirty water, because they don't have any food, because of the disease. Okay, 21,000 a day. In some countries, they don't even bother naming their children until they get older because the infant mortality rate is so high. I can tell you all of that. And it's all absolutely true. But personally, I am not motivated nearly as much by guilt as I am by challenge. And that's why this is so fun today, because I've got good news to tell you. Because frankly, when I hear about all those statistics and I hear all those things, my tendency is to go, well, what am I going to do, man? I'm just going to give up because there's always going to be corrupt governments and there's always going to be evil people out there and there's always going to be famine and disease and we will never win. So why even try And yeah, we can tell the starfish story and, you know, I made a difference to that one and we can do all that stuff and that'll be really, really wonderful, okay? But the truth is we are making a difference. This is what you need to hear. I've been reading a great new book by Scott Todd, who is... one of, the, one of the heads of Compassion International, one of the organizations we have out there. And he's a, he's a statistician and he's been documenting what's going on in the world. And here's some of the good news that nobody's talking about, that somebody ought to be talking about it, so I'm going to do it. The number of kids dying from measles in the last eight years has decreased by 78% because of immunizations. Anybody heard that? No, 78% in the last eight years. 22 countries have cut their malaria rate in half in the last six years. 22 countries. How do they do that? You hear those programs about sending a, a mosquito net for 10 bucks. You get them a mosquito net, they don't get bit, they don't get malaria. 22 countries cut it in half. Did you know that even though there are 21,000 kids who die of poverty-related issues every day, that number was 40,000 in 1980? It's been cut in half in the last 30 years. Did you know that literacy rates are climbing? Did you know that for basically the, 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 the spread of HIV has been completely curbed? Did you know that 30 years ago, 51% of the world lived in extreme poverty? And today, that number is 26%. It's been cut in half in the last 30 years, just like the children that are dying on the street. You want to leave a legacy? 
How about if I get to live 30 more years and make it to 80, world poverty could be alleviated. We could do this. I mean, we could really do this if we all did our part. Let me paint you a picture. <coughs> the last time we did child sponsorships in mass as a, as, a, as, a, as a very big program was 2007, five years ago. Uh, um, when we did it, we, we got 600 new kids signed up and sponsored. And I know some, a lot of you already have kids that you sponsor. We got five kids that we sponsor, World Vision and Compassion, and all over the place. We do that, okay? Because in the same way, your Father in Heaven is not willing that any of these little ones be lost. I believe in that scripture. So maybe everybody out there is sponsoring a child. But here's what happened. CMF, we, we, we went to CMF Africa and we started sponsoring kids and we asked them to come today and you are able, able to go out of here for 38 bucks a month or for 35 bucks a month, sponsor a kid in Africa in a very neglected region that we are starting a new project in, in the Turkana region of Africa where kids really are in drought and famine and really need us. 38, 35 bucks a day, they'll get two meals, they'll get a school provided for them for 35 bucks. For 38 bucks, you can go to the Ecuador Project for Compassion. And we've got all the pictures out there on the windows, and you can see all those things, and you can go pick a kid. Either pick a kid, there's only two places. Africa and Ecuador, because those are places where we work, where we're going to go visit uh, the Ecuador project. I, I showed you the video last week about what we're doing over there. We're actually going to build a church and build a school and supply a pastor and supply teachers and sponsor kids. So that basically whatever this village is, and I don't know which one it is yet, whatever this village is, is going to be Parkview, Parkview South. Okay, It's going to be our little south campus down in Ecuador. And we're going to transform an entire community all by ourselves. Okay, so so I want to encourage you to do this on the way out. That that's what that's what you know. All those people were milling around on your way in, and and, and you can do this on the way out. Okay, and there's trained volunteers out there to help you. Here's my illustration. This I know you've been wondering. These are BBs. Believe it or not, this is 21,000 BBs. 21,000 children die every day of poverty-related issues, okay? Let me just make this a little graphic for you, okay? 21,000 a day. I'm asking you to get one out. Give up Starbucks. Cancel your home phone line that nobody calls you except salesmen on anyway. Do something. Don't take money from Cannonball. We're going to build the, the, the church with the Cannonball money. Don't take money from another thing. Figure out a way for you and your family to come up with 35 or 38 or for $20 you can do a, a young child and figure out a way to get one of these kids, one of these BBs out and make a difference. Okay? That's what I'm asking you. Here's the good news. This is 5,000 BBs. In 2007, last time we did this as a church, there were 26,000 children a day that died from poverty-related issues. This is how many children are not dying every day because we got involved and you got involved and the world is making a difference. What I'd like to be able to do is to come back in five more years and say, look how much smaller this thing is. And it's not, it's not us, obviously. There are millions of kids that need us. But because of what we do here, we can actually make a difference. 
The best child sponsorship story of all time was told to me by my friend Wes Stafford. And by the way, he's the president of Compassion International. I've been to Ecuador with him twice. I've been to Africa with the president of CMF. I promise you, you can trust these organizations. I've vetted them out myself. I know what's going to happen. I know where your money's going. Most of it, almost all of it, is going to go straight to the kids and straight to the ministry and straight to what's going on. Wes Stafford tells the story of a sponsoring organization where back in 1970, this woman, this British school mom, decided to start sponsoring a kid in Kenya. And here's the deal. As a part of sponsorship, you're not just um, sending them money. You're going to have a relationship with them. Collins calls me dad. I mean, he really does, and, and, and because he never had one. And, and, and you're going to have a relationship with your kid, and you're going to be able to write him. Well, back in 1970, it was all done, you know, back and forth in the mail. And she got a letter from him one day saying, here's my picture. And it said, here's my picture. You can see I'm not very handsome, but I hope that you'll keep this picture and, you know, have a nice day. And she could see that he had no self-esteem. So she wrote him back. She said, oh, no, I have this picture on my desk. I look at it every day. I pray for you. You're a beautiful child. I, I can't believe how beautiful you are. A couple you know, months later, he writes back and says, here's a copy of my report card. You can see I'm not very smart, but you know, I'm doing my best. And she wrote him back. She said, I'm not worried about your report card. You just do your best. You're as smart as God wants you to be. And she kept encouraging him. And, and this kept going on. And then one day she got a letter and said, guess what? I found out I'm the fastest boy in my class. There are five of us and I'm the fastest. And she wrote him back and she said, that's great. That means God gave you the gift of running. Run everywhere you go. Run to the store. Run to school. Run everywhere you go. You're in Kenya for crying out loud. Run. That's what you do. Okay? So he did. And he wrote her several months later. He said, guess what? I'm the fastest boy in my school. And he wrote her several years later and said, guess what? I'm the fastest runner in Kenya and I'm going to the Olympics in Seoul, Korea. Will you watch me? True story. When he crossed the finish line as the silver medalist in the long distance race that he was running in, this by now retired school marm in her little uh, cottage down in the south of England was watching with tears in her eyes as she watched her son, her sponsored son, win the silver medal in the Seoul Olympics. Well, it just so, so happens that the flight back from Seoul, back to Kenya, stopped over at Heathrow. And he said, listen, if I'm going to London, I'm getting off the plane, and I'm going to go meet this lady that made me who I am. And so they allowed it to happen. He got a taxi. He went to this lady's house. He had to stoop to get into her little house. He's this big Olympic runner. He had to stoop to get into her house. And he walked in, and there she was in her wheelchair. She's old. She didn't have much more time to live. And he handed her the silver medal. And she said, oh, no, you can't give that to me. You won that. You deserve it. He said, I never could have done this without you. One. That's all I'm asking you to do. Just make a difference to one. I, I, my kid's not fast. He's not going to win the Olympics. But I'm leaving a legacy. And I'm hoping that you're going to do the same thing. This is a picture. This is my favorite picture. It's my screensaver right now. Um, it's just some baby in Ecuador that I picked up. I just, I'm just the baby guy. And, and my gift to humanity is teaching babies to blow raspberries. That's just what I do. Um, you know, and I, I know you think I impart spiritual wisdom, but my favorite thing is to teach babies to blow raspberries. So 
I'm doing it. And I just love the look on this kid's face because it's either you are the weirdest person I've ever seen in my life. Or, man, I'm really studying you to find out what's going on in there because I'm going to imitate who you are. And that's kind of what I feel like that picture is. And friends, that, that's what Jesus came to the earth to do, okay? He came to the earth to demonstrate God to us, and He looked into us, and we looked into His face, and He showed us who God was, and then He told us to turn around and go out and leave a legacy for the rest of the world. So whether you have children of your own or not, that still should be the mental image in your mind. As a society, as a generation, we need to leave the next generation a legacy. Let's pray. We'll have communion. God, I thank you for uh, the kids that uh, are out there in the world that need to be sponsored because it gives us the opportunity to learn and to grow to be more like you. And as we uh, pick up kids on the way out, as we figure out how to to do child sponsorship in our lives, I know some people aren't going to be able to do it. Some people, uh, this really would be more than they could do. But for some of us, it's just a matter of giving up something. It's just a matter of shifting a priority to be able to pick up one of these kids and make a difference to that one and i know how important it's been for us and our family and how it's changed us i pray that it will change our church thank you for a wall that will be filled up of pictures that of people's lives who are being changed and stories we'll be able to tell someday of of what you've done in their lives right now we're taking communion lord and we Remember that, Jesus, you came to show us how to live, that we were, were looking at you just like that kid was looking at me, trying to figure out who you were and how you did that and how you could be who you are. And we try to grow up and to be like you, and now it's our job to turn and to show that and to demonstrate that to the next generation. So as we take communion right now, Lord, we pray that you'll just give us some time to contemplate, just to look into your face, contemplate who you are so that we can leave here and be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.